Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. O'Toole, it was a year ago when we were at the Hampton Film Festival when Emily Blunt, you you couldn't wait to go listen to her little, I didn't go with you. What I was do it? love Emily Blunt. And you came back and said, guess who's playing? The girl on the train. <laughs> you did, do you remember? <laughs> when they brought that up in the interview of Emily Blunt for the conversation with, the, the crowd went wild and she just stopped and said, wow, the power of literature. And we are, uh, today is our podcast that we do with Lit Lovers. Thank you for sponsoring Screen Thank Thoughts. Thank you, Lit Stop Lovers. Yes, we're going to talk about that today. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to do The Dressmaker. Another movie based <laughs> on a book. I know, excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay, but before we get to that. Okay. Did you happen to catch the trailer at The Girl on the Train for Fifty Shades Darker? No. Oh, my gosh. I know that that's also based on a book, but we seem to be sliding into a different genre here, Hollister. Okay, it's not your thing, but I saw the first trailer that I've seen for Fifty Shades Darker, which is coming out on Valentine's Day, which makes total sense to me. So anyway, I just do want to say that everybody's looking good in Fifty Shades Darker. Um, And there's one image in it of a spiraling helicopter, and I had forgotten from the book. that Going up or going down? It's going down. Of course it is. Yeah. So anyway, just very exciting. And then the other trailer that I saw, you know I'm not a fan. I often think Ben Affleck is miscast. I think he, I do. I think Mm -hmm. he gets roles that he shouldn't get, and his earlier roles, I thought, you know, were much, you know, Goodwill Hunting, great role for him. Loved him in Goodwill Hunting. But I did see the trailer for The Accountant, which I know you're saying we're going to do next week, right? I was very intrigued by the trailer. I think it's a really good casting call for him, Mm -hmm. and for him to be a man of little words. Although I was going to say, does he talk in the trailer? No, well, for him to be a man of few words, I think it's a really excellent spot for him right now. So now he's a man of numbers. I know. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So anyway, we can get to it, but I did want to start with that. And then secondly, I did watch on Netflix the Amanda Knox documentary. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, one of my friends <laughs> was in her learn Italian class in Italy when that all went down. Really? Huh. Yes. So their homework was confiscated by the Italian police because wow. you know how in a foreign language class you're, you're often <clears throat> asked things when you're just learning the language, like, what did you do last night? <laughs> so well, I killed my roommate. Was that? Did you kill Meredith Kircher? No. Were you there that night? No. Do you know anything you have not told police? No. Well, here's the funny thing. I'm such an American. Like, I know she's guilty. I know she's not guilty. Oh, she didn't do it. Oh, she did. You know, it's totally the way it's presented. Now, you know, really unusual. I'm shocked they let her do this. I'm shocked that her handlers let her do it. But she's interviewed a lot in this documentary. Do you think it's a reaction to the narrative feature that came out with Marsha Gay Harden you know playing what? her I, mother? I didn't see that. Did you I watch it? I saw that one. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the documentary is really good, and she has crazy eyes. <laughs> okay, then you take that away. I think she's sort of doing it on purpose, and maybe they're just sad eyes. Okay. The problem is, we have no idea. No one knows what happened that night. And there's not one shred of evidence for or against her that's compelling enough to say, oh, for sure she did it or for sure she did not. That's everyone's nightmare. Either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing or I am you. But as a documentary, I highly recommend it. Now, you know what took place on October 5th? Across the country. 
I can't imagine. It was a very special anniversary to mark the 16th anniversary of the airing of the very first ever episode of Gilmore Girls. I thought this was a brilliant marketing ploy. (laughs) They turned over 200 diners and cafes across the country into Luke's Diner. And they didn't publicize it enough beforehand. It should have been publicized a little bit more because Netflix, who of course is sponsoring the revival that's coming out in November, they paid for the first 250 customers at each location. Well, that's probably why they didn't advertise it more. Um, but Luke Steiner was a fabulous character it in was, that whole yeah. franchise. In the very first minute of the very first episode, you meet Lorelai, you meet Luke, you meet his diner, and you meet her coffee addiction. Huh. It's a good first minute. Right. And I wonder which is the best couple of those four. Maybe Lorelai and the coffee. Maybe, mm-hmm. right? Anyway. So November 25th, I'm looking forward to that on Netflix. There you go. So we're going to talk about the much-anticipated, much-awaited girl on the train. Just tell me what happened that night. How could it be so Why are you here? Because I'm afraid of myself. I would like to start off by saying I actually liked the book and I was very concerned, as you may recall, that the fact that most of the book takes place in her head would make that very, very difficult to bring to the screen. It turns out I found the movie so much better in terms of plot development than the book. Well, I wasn't worried about that so much because I thought since the girl on the train is based on what the Rachel character sees, that's kind of a natural fit for a movie because it's the cinematic gaze of the camera. So what Emily Blunt is looking at from the train, we can look at as the viewer. I saw her. I saw her from the train. And I thought they did a really good job with the memory fragments and the flashbacks. The real success of this movie is the cinematographer. The cinematography was superb. Charlotte Bruce Christensen, yes, who has 23 credits to her name, yes. and I didn't know any of them other than um, Far From the Maddening Crowd, which was okay, but yeah. nothing as good as this. Well, she also did The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen. I didn't see it. Yeah. She's from Denmark. Okay. So, you know, obviously she's, she's done a lot of work in Denmark, but It's interesting to me. I can't talk about the book or the movie without comparing it to Gone Girl. So I read Gone Girl before I read The Girl on the Train. And there's a lot of similarities with a missing girl, a police investigation. You don't really know which character is sinister. So I'll say this. I enjoyed the book Gone Girl more than the book The Girl on the Train. Exactly. But... As you know from our podcast on Gone Girl, I thought that movie was a snoozer. So I enjoyed the movie version of The Girl on the Train more than the movie so version of Gone Girl. Well, so I did too. But I also felt that the cinematography in it and Emily Blunt, I, it's getting panned by reviewers other than us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, who cares what they think? But anyway, I must say, I think Emily Blunt... Not only is it her finest role, but it's one of the best roles I've seen from a woman in a really, really long time. I will watch Emily Ugh. Blunt in anything. I, she has such wide you do, range. You loved her for all the long. You know, all this time. I do from Devil yeah. Wears Prada, yeah. where she was so funny, yep. to Sicario, where she plays this agent in the desert. Yep. I thought her character was the best fit for the movie, but I will say this: the cinematography superb, the music. 
I thought was I never superb. heard the music, which makes it probably good. It was by yeah. Danny Elfman, who's yeah, been never nominated for four Oscars. Uh-huh. He did Milk and Men in Black, Goodwill huh. Hunting. Well, so it certainly created the right mood because the fact that I didn't notice the music but felt I felt everything as I went through that movie with her. And the very opening shot where the train is moving, it had me from that moment because I thought this is a little bit like watching Rear Window if Jimmy Stewart were an alcoholic. Where I liked that where he sees something occur, he's the witness, but on top of that you make him an unreliable narrator because a little bit like Jason Bourne, she's trying to figure out in the movie what is real in her head and what isn't real. You know, Well, she's trying together. to bring it's not even what's real and what's not real. She's trying to bring bring back a memory that's gone. Exactly, the yeah. blackout yeah. that even through hypnosis you can't get. But to me there was a weakness in the movie. There okay, don't two. tell me. Don't don't tell okay. me yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready to hear yet. Can okay, we do one well, other let's thing? keep going. Can we do, can we do one other positive thing? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, her husband. Who is this actor? And boy, did he... We, you know, we don't want to give it away if people haven't read the book, but he really developed beautifully. And when he comes out, you know, as, the, uh, as to who he is, who is that guy? And why haven't we seen him in anything? And we will see him again. So you don't mean Justin Thoreau? Well, who's, was that her ex-husband? Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. I oh, thought he, okay, he, Justin Thoreau. I, I think he was excellent. I think he's a young Alec Baldwin. Really? Yes. I saw, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin can be funny. He can be vulnerable. He can be mean. He can be evil. He can be anything. So can this guy. This guy has it all. He's an he's a younger he's a he's an he's an up and coming Alec Baldwin. Well, you know what I was wondering. You what know was how, he in? Was he in anything before? I have never seen Justin Throw in anything before. He's been in stuff and he's written screenplays. He wrote the screenplay for Tropic Thunder. Never and saw sequels it. to Iron Man and, mm, and not so much. No, but you know. We, By the way, I don't think our people are watching the sequels know, to Iron Man too. But go ahead. But you know how Phoebe makes an appearance as his boss in the movie. Yeah, I kind of thought. No, she's not his boss. She's the boss's wife. His boss's yeah, you're wife. absolutely yeah. right. The boss's wife. By the way, big difference. And I loved her in this role. I thought she was really good. Well, I kind of wondered if she popped in here. Through the Jennifer Aniston connection. Huh, is there one? Oh, of course, because she's married to him. Yes, Justin Thoreau's married to someone who has friends. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even know he was married to her. And I'm telling you, he's a young Alec Baldwin, which would make total sense. Because let's, you know, Pitt can have that. He has many sides to him, too. Okay, but I'm ready now to go to the dark side of the two flaws. <laughs> is one of them that sometimes she went in and out of her English accent? That she didn't did. bother me so she, much. She went well, in and out. It, it sh- okay, if it were anyone else, you would be absolutely crazy about this. You and your accent stuff. Well, I'm gonna and, s- but Emily Blunt can get away with it. She no, went in I'm and out of an English why, accent. Because the book was set in England. So? So when the movie first opens, I thought, oh, they've set it outside New York City. Which I thought... Worked. They shot it, yeah. In, you know, riding the Hudson North train. Yeah, it was a wonderful I thought, this train. This is interesting yeah. because you're. But then I thought, okay, so now she's the only British person, but she's living in America. No, but she. But it would be fine if she kept her British accent, but she went in and out of it. It's hard to keep it though when you're living in America. She was sometimes an American accent and sometimes a British accent, and you would never let anyone else get away with that. Yeah, but she's a Brit in America, so I would let them get away with that. It's okay. the same way when Madonna moved okay, to London. Okay, I'm not going to continue this conversation. <laughs> I'm just saying, if any other actor hadn't gotten the accent right through the whole thing, you would be all over them like Lou. So that wasn't one of the no. flaws. Mm-hmm. Okay, that wasn't um, one of them. I loved her performance. I thought she was excellent. Okay, so what's the flaw? 
Okay. The two things that worked better in the book, Mm -hmm. one was the constant shifting of time. So where they would say four months ago, two years ago, present day, I thought, okay, I've already read the book. I'm kind of prepped for this movie. I thought that was disjointed and confusing. It was. It was. It was. But what was... And also, I'm not sure it needed to be that way. No, they didn't, it did they not They could have just all. done it chronologically. Mm-hmm. It would have been fine. Yep. And what was... Good good, good moment there, O'Toole. Thank you. Well, yeah. what was better achieved in the book was the shifting of the points of view. And I really liked that in the book because the hardest thing about the book and the movie is that the Rachel character is an anti-hero. So I remember when I first started reading the book, I thought, oh, do I want to follow the story of someone who's <laughs> I think such you actually said that to a me. mega alcoholic. I know. With, you know. And then I thought, oh, the movie's going to go there with the stunt yeah, vomit and the, the this and the that. And I was like, okay, that's going to be hard. By the way, that Emily Blunt girl, she's she knows what it feels she like really to drink. There's no it. well, there's no way oh. she's never been drunk because well, that girl knew how to play I it. I read that <laughs> she really had to study addiction to play somebody who's drinking vodka out of the water bottle oh God, and all yeah. that. But in the book, just when you're done with her, they shift to a new chapter with a new character with a new point of view. And that worked for me, where all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, Rachel is stalking her ex-husband and his new wife and their baby and how awful. And then you hear the point of view of the new wife. And the minute she says, you know, I enjoyed being the mistress and I enjoyed cheating with him in his wife's house, all of a sudden I had a shifting allegiance. And I was like, okay, this woman is not who I think she is, which made it interesting for me. The movie tried that a little bit at the beginning where they actually put in the text that said, Rachel... Anna, yeah, Megan. it was awkward. It, but they it, didn't, it was too soon, and it was too jointed. And uh, yeah, you're right. It was and not their finest moment. They didn't that. So, yeah. and unlike, I'm glad they didn't because I forgot about it. But unlike the affair, where I think that's done to great effect, here not so much. So it was hard to tell which character was driving Actually, brilliant the plot. Point, O'Toole. I really think that's great. What was the second thing? Well, that second thing is the time and the point of view because yeah, okay. this movie did drag a little bit where they tried to bring in the exposition. You know what? It did, but I'm going to give it that. I'm going to allow but again, that. I enjoyed I... it much more than Gone Girl, but I had to compare the two movies because I thought, what is it that makes it drag? And this is my theory. In Gone Girl and in The Girl on the Train, you have cops in both movies. In fact, a female-male cop team. I'm sure you were thrilled to see your C.J. Craig. You were seen in the area that night. Did you murder Megan Hipwell? Allison Channing. You know, I was going to do it toward the end, but I just want to say, CJ, it's so nice to see you back on the screen. I love that you're aging naturally and gracefully. You know, she definitely looks a lot older than when she was CJ Craig on the West Wing. And I thought she did a really good job of understanding who Rachel was. Whereas her male cop doesn't even get to talk. I'm no, not sure why, he could qualify you know, when CJ's around, card. nobody should talk as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so that's fine with me. I think she should have been around more, if anything. But when she puts her arm on Rachel's arm in the bathroom, uh-huh. almost like girl to girl, like, I will help you. Just tell me the truth. You know, it's a moment. I, CJ's, I thought that yeah. was really manipulative. Yeah, it was manipulative. It was, but not, in a good way, not well, in a bad way. I don't way. know. It didn't happen in the book. And I thought... Okay, but this is the realization I came to. The weakness of turning both these books into movies is that unlike a police procedural on TV where it's clear who's driving the investigation, you have the cops, they're investigating, and you have all the suspects, and you try to figure out who did it. 
Gone Girl and The Girl on the Train, you have these people who are trying to prove their own innocence. Right. But they're not driving the plot either. Because unlike a movie like The Fugitive, where they have the police chasing them and they have to prove their innocence to get off the hook, here the police would tell Rachel things like, you know, if I were you, I'd stay away from your ex. Or they would take witness statements like the now wife statement saying, you know, I think she did it. And they say, you have to bring me evidence. The police weren't being active, but nor was she being actively pursued. Uh, very good points. Uh, you know, it's funny. Now that you say Gone Girl, I totally, I totally see the connection, correlation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think this was 10 times better film. The film, I, I yeah, agree, I enjoyed I it much more than Gone Girl, although it's still some very similar themes of how well do you really know the person you're married to, what we project onto people. We never really know if people are leading the lives we assume that they are. Oh, we can assume that we don't know. That's what, I, <laughs> what, what we know for sure is that we have no idea. Uh, but, here's, but here's the other thing. It's getting panned. What mm-hmm. is that about? I, look, it, it definitely dragged. It definitely went on too long. I, I, but but I don't think it was to anybody's detriment. Could it have been a little tighter in the editing? But it's not a movie to be panned. The plot line is really brilliant. It's very well done. You know, the surprises at the end, the, you know, the vortex of those surprises is really, really beautifully executed. I, I don't understand. Well, I definitely enjoyed it more than Gone Girl. And Gone Girl, let's Gone not Girl forget. Gone Girl wasn't banned. No, it was nominated for an Oscar <laughs> for Best Adapted exactly. Screenplay. And, and people I- talked about Emily getting an Oscar nod for this six months ago. It'll be interesting now that they've panned the movie, whether she can, they can still look at her performance and recognize the brilliance of it, because it is brilliant. Now, there were two characters that I thought were more interesting in the book. Um, okay, his wife. That's not the one that I was immediately thinking of, but you're right. Yes, yes. his wife. You know, she became a third character rather than a secondary character. Do you know where you've seen that actress before, Rebecca Ferguson? No, where? She played Kathleen in Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, okay. She looked very different in this film. She did a good job. She's Swedish. Yeah, she did a good job. Um, But I didn't get the sense so much in the movie that she was becoming like Rachel from living with the same guy in the uh, same house, developing a drinking problem and suspicions. The other husband? No. Huh. The shrink? Yes. Really? I didn't get, you know. I thought the shrink in the book was more interesting because he was from Eastern Europe, I want to say, like Slovenian or something. Yeah, in this way, they they made him from Venezuela or somewhere. He seemed South American to me. He spoke Spanish at one point, but they kept his name from the book. And I thought that was interesting that he was from this war-torn place that understood tragedy, that he would become a therapist. Mm. But... The two that I was specifically thinking of were the red-haired man from the train. Right. The one who played him here, he's the guy that owns the lobster roll in the show The Affair. Oh. Well, he dresses up nice then. Yes, he does dress up nicely, but this is the thing. In the book, you know how she sees him looking at her on the train as if he recognizes her? And she's still trying to piece together what happened that night. And one day he follows her off the train on the platform and he's walking behind her and he talks to her and she's totally wigged out about it. That would have been great in a movie because, again, you would have had a person being chased, which always works in a movie. And here instead they change it to a static shot of him at the same bar slash restaurant on the mezzanine level of Grand Central. That's not true. He follows her when she left the train. 
but not in the same way. Uh So when she finally addresses him and talks to him, she grabs him by the lapels, but he's seated at the same bar, and she says, you have to stop following me. When the camera loves movement, he could have been walking down the train platform. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, And you don't know, is he a good guy or a bad guy? So in the movie, her character is very harsh to that guy. Whereas I like the ambiguity in yep. the book. Makes sense. The other is her roommate, Kathy. Who you've seen. Laura Prepon. Yeah, very good. Yes. Yeah. Um, but why does she, she's never going to be, you know, she's always going to be the bridesmaid, never the bride. Although she was an October Road. Uh, I the TV didn't, show. Mm, she was blonde. On never like saw that it. 70 never show. saw it. Never saw it. But in the book, she's the friend of a friend. And it adds to the stakes because she serves Rachel with an eviction notice. Yeah, but but it, well, she did in this one too, and then no, never she evicted didn't. her. Yes, she did. She said you have to leave. Emily just leaves of her own accord. She leaves that sweet little note. No, but she doesn't really in the end leave. We, ne- we she never goes back anywhere else. We don't no. know where she's gone. Whereas that could have been made more use of in the film. Well, I liked that. I, here's the thing: there was a lot of extraneous stuff that happened in the book. Mm-hmm. That and that was one of the things was the relationship with her roommate and stuff. And by leaving it out, I think it helped the plot development of the core of this entire message. And I think it was better than to bring in other layers which weren't necessary. Well, I don't think you had to bring in other layers. But for example, the fact that her roommate wants her out means she's really got to figure out what happened and get her life together. But I agree with you in general. They culled a lot of stuff from the and, book. And I think it was all the better for it, and the mm-hmm. book maybe could have culled it as well. We knew, we do we have to get on to other things, but Tate Taylor, the director who mm-hmm. did The Help. Yep. Okay, here's what I love about this. Totally different direction on The Help which was done from afar. Every scene in The Help is not close up in your face. Every scene, practically, in The Girl on the Train is in your face. And there were a lot of close-ups. Yeah, there were. And The Help, they, he didn't use that tactic. And I love that he took the book. Both books, by the way, are written by women. He's an actor. You've seen him in things. Mm-hmm. Okay, both of those books are very, very, very female books in my mind. That's true. Yeah, and then you bring in a male actor, and he approached them very, very differently. And without the um, girly part of the female point of view, which I liked. In other words, he he really, it was genderless in how everybody played their roles, you know. Rachel was not in the girly, girly, you know, there were no girls and boys. There were really characters and I think that he's very good and I think he can probably direct anything so I have to give him a shout out you know The Help is another movie that I enjoyed more than the book I know I know The Phenom I know and it was also very long sort of lots of stuff going on in it you know so very well done my two favorite lines from the book okay one was towards the beginning where the Rachel character says I have lost control of everything even the places in my head that summed up her character right there. Yeah, beautifully said. Okay, the other. By the way, they should have left that in somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. She's describing her roommate Kathy and her penchant for cleaning, and she says in the book, "It could be her birthday. It could be the morning of the rapture. She will get up and clean." <laughs> I wish I were that person. It shows a humor we never saw. Mm-hmm. By the way, we never saw one ounce of the person she was before. And that, that, I think, is a mistake. It was a mistake in the book, and it was a mistake in this. And Emily Blunt is a good laugher. She is, although I could have used more of that in the book. Yeah. I know I'm saying Mm -hmm. it was out of both. Okay, now guess how much money they spent to make this movie. Because, you know, I'm I'm starting to now pay attention to the dollars and cents of these things. I'm thinking it probably wasn't that expensive. It was $45 Oh, that is kind of expensive. Yeah, I thought so, too. Considering, if you look at the sets... 
we're not talking about complex sets. I mean, and, you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe it's the aerial view of the train. And then I thought, no, that could be done with a drone. But then I was like, no, they don't let drones in New York City, which tells you that it did ramble, that my mind could do all that during the film. But I give it I give it some stars. I think it's a good movie. And I'm sorry nobody seems to like it but me. Okay, moving right along to The Dressmaker. Yes. Also a book you read. I did yes. not. You grew up. You got old. Myrtle Dunnage is back. I haven't seen her since she was a kid. I wonder how she turned out. She's back! Okay, before we even start, that's that image of the Singer sewing machine when she gets off the train at the beginning of the movie, she sets down a wooden box that says Singer on the side, and if they don't take, I mean, I'm in marketing, if they don't take that three seconds, they're crazy. It was such a moment. That's it a was, very, wasn't it gr- a very great opening. good point. A great opening. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, this movie might have the best tagline ever. Which is? Revenge is back in fashion. Hmm. The double meaning of that sums up the plot. I never of saw this that. Where, where did you see that tagline? Probably yeah. on the poster. Well, because I don't bother with ads for anything. That's probably <laughs> um, okay. Which leads me to the line that not only broke my heart, but I I came home and wrote it in my journal. I wrote about it for two pages in my journal. Was when her mother goes in toward the end and says to the terrible women of the town, mm-hmm. and she says, He died trying to prove his love was greater than your hate. It was a great, oh, great line. God. Delivered by the incomparable Judy Davis. Which, you know, she did an, a, an incredible job, although I think mm-hmm. making one of her teeth black was stupid. <laughs> it was, right? It on made, I, I felt like I was in a Halloween costume. Do you know, <laughs> it was just not, you know, like they didn't need to do that. We get that she's not taking care of herself. You don't need to make one of her teeth black like she's, a, you know, a jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> so, you know, it is October. I have to bring that up. Okay, and, and to me, it was became a Greek tragedy, a Shakespearean you know, play. I mean, God, it was so many things, this movie. And it was a campy Australian Uh, gothic movie. And I think you have to email your Posey and see what she thought. Does she know? I'm dying to know because Posey wrote a book called The Dressmaker. So when I heard The Dressmaker was being made into a movie, I assumed it was Posey Graham Evans's novel, another Australian novelist. Well, Jocelyn Morehouse is the, um, the director. Yeah, who is from Australia. Yes, she is. And it and by the way, it was a complex thing to direct and again, this was one of those movies that it bordered on slapstick and if she ever had taken it to the slapstick moment, I would have hated this film and she mm-hmm. never ever crossed the line and I will bow down in grateful pleasure to her for being able to put very close to absurd together with comedy, together with tragedy and sadness and you know, I mean, when 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 the death happens, I want I'm not we're mm-hmm. not going to say what I, I, I said, please don't do this to me. Yeah. Please do not do this to me. And you mm-hmm. could see that it was coming. And, you know, what an incredible plot. Again, great plot. You know, it's based on the best selling book by the Australian novelist Rosalie Ham. This was her debut novel. It was not a subtle book. I found this interesting, though. Rosalie what was her debut Hamm, novel? Did it win any awards? I think in Australia, huh. yep. But she said mm-hmm. she based it on the three traits that she likes least in human beings. Suspicion, prejudice, and malice. So it's not my Why would genre? somebody want to spend a year writing about three things they hate? 
I don't know, but look, her debut novel has turned into a I movie know, but I think she Kate needs to Winslet. explore that. Why not? I mean, we have to go from a positive point of view. I am somebody who would be mm. much more likely to read Anne of Green Gables Thank you. than yes. The Dressmaker. Exactly. But that's why... Why well, did you read it? What made you... Well, what you said about Jocelyn Morehouse, I totally... She mined humor uh-huh. in this book that did. I did not feel while I was reading the book. I much preferred the movie, where it was so visual to see these gothic characters come alive. Oh, God, fabulous. You know, the guy with the hunchback in this highly stylized Australian outback town, much better served as a movie. And also, it was a grown-up version of... Miss Peregrine's House for Peculiar Children. By the way, you are not allowed to leave. Nobody can... Nobody can turn off this podcast till she gets it right. It's a grown-up <laughs> version of the best movie of all time. What is my favorite movie? Pollyanna? I, yes. Oh, interesting. It is a grown-up and version. And there's a wheelchair in it. Well, it's a grown-up version, and the aunt is her mother. It is a grown-up mm-hmm. version of Pollyanna. The townspeople are terrible, but in the end, they start to get it. Hollister, this is so interesting. You're <clears throat> absolutely right. It is. It's absolutely. a grown-up version of Pollyanna with a Singer sewing machine. Who could You're go wrong? Absolutely. I know. Right. Pollyanna was written in the 1800s, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the movie came out in what, 60 maybe? I forget. Sometime 50, 60. 50s. 60 years ago, yeah. right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. We couldn't take, couldn't have taken Pollyanna this way then, yeah. which actually mm-hmm. is not a compliment to our society that you can take Pollyanna to this nth degree of hell. <laughs> you know, I liked I liked Pollyanna a little bit better, and in terms of that, this was very hard to stomach. It was very mm-hmm. painful. To me, I felt like it was Grey Gardens and the Outback. Well, can't we just stay on Pollyanna? For I, a I love this. Keep okay, going I know. Because, well, yes. No, we're, I'm done. I just want you to. I just want you to marvel at, at the fact that I, I found love Pollyanna. That analogy. Yeah. The you, trouble is, Pollyanna has a happy ending. And did this? Did you think it was a happy ending? The it was not a happy ending. I don't think for anyone. But I got to say, one of the best ever entrances and exits for a character on film. Oh my God! Really beautiful. Kate Winslet was was <sighs> vibing Madonna with oh an Australian God, accent. Gertrude Pratt. The dance is Saturday night. I could make you something. A dress can't change anything. Watch and learn, Gert. Watch and learn. By the way, she can do anything and you cannot. This is another one. I say this often, but you can't take her out your eyes off her. She's just awesome. The camera loves, loves her, her face. Loves her, yep. And the director, Jocelyn Morehouse, she called this movie Unforgiven, but with a sewing machine and haute couture. <laughs> And I thought that's a great description. Okay, I, I think she'd probably be a little upset when she finds out I'm calling it Pollyanna, I right? I think she might like that. Okay, well, you maybe she, if she saw Pollyanna, perhaps, maybe I should send her a copy like I did you. You can transform people. That's very powerful. Use it. Jocelyn Morehouse both wrote the adaptation and directed the movie. She hasn't made a movie in 18 years. As she says, motherhood intervened. She had four kids. She's married to P.J. Hogan, who directed My Best Friend's Wedding huh. and Muriel's Wedding. But Jocelyn Two very, Morehouse, very different films, by the way. She did How to Make an American Quilt. She well, did she also did A Ma- Thousand Acres, and I think this was closest yes. to A Thousand Acres. And that, a Thousand right. Acres was a book not dissimilar from The Dressmaker. It was a, you know... You know, it's a book on the prairie. Like, there's a lot of wind, you know, there's a lot of tousled wind blowing on the dry ground and... You know, the Australian outback or whatever. And 
I saw a lot of a thousand acres. I thought I saw a lot of tools in a thousand acres that she used here too. Also an excellent cast. And visually, this was very pleasing because you get all the Australian terrain with this haute couture walking through this dusty town with the best-dressed women ever. Well, they weren't the best-dressed women until she got to them. But when she got to town, boy, I did the, she I thought the transform costumes. them. Is that Dior? Not only are the costumes great and they should be in the Academy Award Absolutely. nominations for this year, but the way they're layered in. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have this backdrop from hell. Yep. And then all of a sudden, these women emerge with these costumes that are just... I don't know. They're just stunning, you know, and, and totally inappropriate to their life. Right. And yeah. Hugo Weaving, who plays the cross-dressing <laughs> yeah. police inspector, Love him. he was in Jocelyn Morehouse's first movie, Proof, back in 1991, yep. that also had Russell Crowe. He was wonderful. But Judy Davis and Kate Winslet together on the screen, I thought this is one of those dream movies for an actor. It's an actor's movie where they really get to inhabit these roles, cookie um, as they are. Go on, make them their dresses. Make them think they're classy. They'll still hate you. She murdered him. She's cursed. And the set, another, it was a really well, well done set. You know, with the house just above the town, almost like Scarlet Letter. Yeah. You know, where not part of the town, but adjacent to the town. It was very Scarlet Letter approach to it. It really was. They created this fictive town of Dungatar. And I, I love the a, name too. Didn't you love it? I want. I'm from Dungatar. Name. But I went with a friend who used to do the sets for Nancy Myers. He hmm. loved the movie The Dressmaker, and his first thought was that was not an expensive movie to make. Of course not. And but yet we're... highly stylized, very visual. Jocelyn Morehouse said she wanted the look and feel of spaghetti westerns. Very well done. I think there is a weakness in the movie, which is the same weakness I found in the book. Okay. I feel the story peaks a little early because huh. there's like a whole nother no, act. You're absolutely right. Uh, yep. With stage yep. and the Macbeth play. And I was sort of waiting at the, well, it's a little anticlimactic now. Mm-hmm. And I think the, you know, the fire, which, you know, I'm not really giving anything away yet. The fire, I think, was supposed to be very climatic, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I think that was supposed to be the big boom, but it wasn't. You know, I want to give a shout-out to Liam Hemsworth, too. I reckon he came home for one of two things. Revenge or me. Yeah, very good. And he looks good without a shirt on, and I never say that about people. It was a fantastic mm. scene. I thought it was funny and romantic, and Judy Davis and Kate but Winslet's again, expressions. Again, pulled off beautifully. He's the one that used to be engaged to Miley Cyrus, who we mentioned in last week's podcast... Huh. Crisis and Six Exactly. Scenes. And, you know, the two are not dissimilar because they're based on this interloper story structure where you get someone who disrupts the status quo. Miley Cyrus pops in as a rebel. No, that's true. And okay, Kate Winslet I see the gets connection. off the train and starts it's a little obtuse, pelting them but I with see golf it. balls. I get it. Yep. I got it. I got it. Absolutely. But you know who I have to really hand it to for doing some more very original programming? Who? This was also backed by Amazon. I told you Amazon's the new Netflix. Yep. Yep. You know my favorite line from the book. What? And they gave her a look that would start a bushfire. (laughs) You're kind of giving me one of those looks right now. Good thing we're all on audio here. (laughs) 